Liz Ullman. A lot of you guys know who I am. I am your co-host, Kenny Buller. We're here to learn how to survive, how to thrive, and keep the good vibes going in your life and business. So, um, Kenny, we should get started. Thank you so much, Omid. I felt like, you know what, the best way, guys, to start any event is to start off with a story. And the story I'd like to share with everybody here is when Kenny, myself, I was probably 18, 19 years old, first year of university, still trying to figure myself out, still trying to do everything that an 18-year-old boy wants to do when he's trying to conquer the world. And I was in, I was in the gym that day, and I was on my phone, I was in my notes page, and it dawned on me that one day, I would love just growing up with Edmonton, being first generation Canadian. I thought how cool it would be to connect people together, to motivate and create something at that time I called connected motivation. And as cheesy as that is, I looked at connected motivation as this thing where the last two letters of connected ED, the first letter of motivated M, first three letters of Edmonton. I thought I got it. I thought it was a million dollar idea, like any other 18 year old kid's gonna think. And flash forward five years later, I've had probably six or seven coffee meetings with Omen. And Omen's a person who I've had as a colleague, a friend, someone who I saw was so ambitious, but when you're 18, 19, you're still in your own little circle and you're still, you're still kind of timid, I was anyway, to kind of go outside my comfort zone and meet new people. And it's an interesting age and a lot of us were at that point, I'm sure you could relate, and we talk a lot about it on our podcast where we're in our youthful 20s now and, and we're actually that much more interested to see what people are doing. We're constantly on YouTube, we're looking things up, we're seeing what all the successful people are doing. So I sat down with Omid and he goes to me and he says, Kenny, I wanna start a podcast. And I was like, dude, I wanna start a podcast. And then we figured, you know what? We, we, we went on the drawing board, we saw what Omid did best, we saw what I felt like I did best, and we blended it together. We felt like this was a perfect opportunity to put our egos aside, to go 50-50 and realize that as much as we want to do it on our own, we need to put our strengths together. And that's where Second Floor Podcast was born. And I'm telling you right now, this past eight months has honestly been the best eight months of my life, not because of the attention, mainly because I've learned so much along the way. Every single meeting we've had, the, the 15 episodes we've had before even launching this thing, having people being near to tears, telling us their story, some of them being in here today, it's because of you guys, it's because of our guests, it's because of our panelists that brings us here on stage to be able to collaborate and create something this fucking awesome. And I'm so glad each and every single one of you are here to be a part of the process, to learn from entrepreneurs today who have been honestly the top five most attention, the most views, the most downloads that we've received on our podcast. And this would be nothing without them. And this would be nothing without you guys. So everybody, please give a big hand for showing up and being a part of this experience. We're gonna give a special shout out to Big Music, guys. These guys right here are the ones who've been playing the jazz music upon entering. These guys have been here mixing it up, making the music happen. Let's give it a round of applause for them, please. And lastly, I'm gonna pass 
the mic on the Omen, who's going to open up the floor for our next partner in our first live podcast event, and then we're going to get the introduction started for our panelists. Uh, before I do that, I just want to thank some people that are in the crowd. Uh, Mr. Yusuf Saeed, who kind of started with us, very beginning, we started, we kind of came up with the concept, he was with us in the first 10 episodes, so shout out to Yusuf for his hard work and being part of it at the beginning. And shout out to Kelsey Baker, who's in the back there. Kelsey, can you wave? She is our graphic designer. She came up with this beautiful banner for us. Everything that you guys see on our Instagram, our YouTube channel, she comes up with a beautiful design. So thank you very much, Kelsey. All right, can I get Antonio and Franco to please come to the front if you can. These guys helped us, provided us this beautiful venue. These guys are the founders of Al Centro. They came up with this concept and I'd love for them to come up and say some words, please. Take your time. Hey, I want to thank all you guys. I want to thank you guys as well too. The vision is amazing. Um, we were talking about some of the elements and some of the variables we were speaking about. It always seems to come to the heart. And when we kind of lead by that, if that's our leading center, then everything that we do in life should be and shall be shall be good. So kudos to you guys all. Kudos to everybody here tonight. Okay, lead by this. Okay. Beautiful. I'd like to thank everybody for coming down. We've, uh, if anybody's followed our journey to get to where we are today, it's been a long one. It's been four, four years, July the 15th, since we signed the lease. We've had a few unexpected surprises. Um, we've uh, surpassed most of, most of the obstacles and hurdles, and now we're working hard to kind of get our bearings in terms of moving forward. Um, when I had the pleasure of meeting these two fine gentlemen, and uh, through Raj. Uh, Raj I've known for a few years, physiotherapist, also my mother-in-law's colleague. Um, so I had the opportunity to meet these gentlemen and we sprung this idea together and said absolutely I'm in. I'd love to be a part of something new as we're something new and uh, in business the way to really kind of uh, almost like a spider is you have a body and then you have your legs. The more legs you have the further you can travel. So the idea is that we're all in this together in terms of entrepreneurs working on something special, trying to create a community here, trying to create something very unique and bring something very different to Edmonton than what kind of what we're used to or what's currently available. So I'd like to thank you all for coming out. Um, we're super excited to have you all here. I hope you all enjoyed the food. Uh, after we're done our session this evening, of course, stay relaxed, enjoy, have a conversation, and uh, let us know when you want to plan your next event. All right. All right, so time for the moment we've all been waiting for, guys. And, and you know what? The funny thing is here, I'll be honest, a lot of people towards the last week, especially friends, they messaged me and they're like, dude, so like, I want to come to your event, but like, what is it? And I was like, listen, I understand. We've been talking about really good food, good drinks, good people. 
And it really is that. However, I didn't want to put everything out there. I wanted this to kind of be a surprise. I didn't want everyone to immediately know what the main topics are going to be of discussion. And that's what we're about to unfold right now, okay? So three chapters to tonight. Chapter one, business versus passion. Okay, we're gonna look at the intricacies of how they relate with one another and how they differentiate with one another. One of the biggest things that we actually wanted to implement now into our podcast is healthy debate. So thank you to my girlfriend, Guggen, who mentioned it. She said, you know what, Kenny, you agree to everything everyone says on the show. I want, I want to see some, you know, I want to see some fire. You know, I want to hear it's one side and the other side. And we're going to do our best to try and do that tonight. Chapter two, overcoming challenges. Okay, it's so easy to put on a networking event like this tonight and have our panelists boast about how successful they are. We get it, we know that already. If you saw their podcast, you got to hear a little bit about that. But let's hear some of those challenges that they face or that they're currently facing. And something that I wanna kinda wrap a quote around it is my current coach in jujitsu, he puts it this way. There's no miracle without sacrifice. And I'm telling my mom who's sitting on front row, if I'm gonna get anything tattooed, it's no miracle without sacrifice. Because I really resonate with that. Not getting a tattoo, still. <laughs> chapter three, the final one, okay? This chapter right here, guys, is it takes two to tango. Every single panelist that we have sitting here has a business partner. We have a business partner. We are not in this alone. It's not easy to run a business anymore alone. If you are running one alone, kudos to you, because it's not easy. So without further ado, guys, I am going to introduce panelist by panelist. Each one is going to have an entrance song tonight, okay? It's their night as well. So what I plan on doing is I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction. Music cues, they arrive. Let's give them a warm welcome, making sure we clap hard, we cheer. I wanna know whoever's cheering the loudest to know who came for who. And we're gonna do that one by one with each panelist and we'll go into chapter one, okay? So, without further ado, our first panelist is somebody who has run six times in a row the best music studio in Edmonton. This is somebody who not only provides a variety of different musical lessons, they also showcase and allow the people the ability to rap, to spitball, to go in there and practice their craft. If they feel like they're not a good rapper, well, why don't they go in there and check it out in their studio? If they wanted to play the guitar, they can go in there and be set up with one of the best instructors in Edmonton six times over. The man behind Resonate Music Studio. Ladies and gentlemen, I welcome to you, Mike Cathery, baby. <laughs> Good. I don't know how you felt, but that felt good for me, bro. All right, next guest, guys. Number two, I give to you the man who decided to innovate his love for food. The man who, after 10 years of working in the restaurant industry, he was sick and tired working for somebody else. The man who would go on weekends, talk with his buddies, and his buddies were like, man, what are you doing with your economics degree? You're more than that. You're CEO. 
What's going on, Sean? Come on, buddy. Wake up. It's time. So what he did is he cultivated an amazing opportunity for those people who are working day in and day out who don't have time to prep their own meals, who don't have themselves the knowledge of how to prep, who keep begging their significant other to make them a meal, but they say, you know what, I'm working too. Get your ass up and make your own scrambled eggs. So Sean Chai decided to create meal craft where you can not only have your meals delivered, but you are having the most sustainable, the most well-sourced ingredients, nutritious yet delicious. I'm bringing to you the owner of Meal Craft, Sean Chai. <laughs> Sean, I hope you got to hear that intro, buddy. Oh, so good. Wow. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Next up, guys, panel th panelist three out of five. I bring to you somebody who, the moment I started hearing about her in the community, I was extremely inspired. Okay? This is somebody who I, after hearing their story, was close to tears, didn't know what happened, wanted to know exactly you know, how they came through what they did. Not only did they struggle through dealing with paralysis themselves, still dealing with it. They created a non-for-profit idea. She created a non-for-profit idea where she's helping those who suffered far worse than she has to rehabilitate themselves physically, mentally, spiritually, the full nine yards. This is a woman who has received Miss Wheelchair Canada. This is somebody who recently, by global vision, received the Global Woman Award. This is somebody who has just recently opened up their non-for-profit Ryu Paralysis and Recovery Center, currently in the West End, servicing those who to this day are struggling to trying to move certain parts of their body that they may never be able to move again. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring to you one of the most inspiring people I've ever met, Bean Gill. They see me if you know Bean, you know that's like the, the perfect song to choose. I love it. Matches the personality nicely. How you doing, Bean? Awesome. All right, guys, we have panelists four out of five. This person, you know, one day I was sitting down, I was, I was having dinner with a buddy, and he says, Kenny, man, listen, you, you're doing this jujitsu thing now, and you need, you need a sponsor. You need to get somebody who's like, you know, you got, them, like, you got that local slap on your stuff, you'd be hyping them up on social media. You need this person. You got to talk to them. And I say, you know what? Okay, fine, I'll do it. So I DM'd a guy for the first time. I direct messaged a dude. <laughs> and it was really weird. It was really weird, but you know what? It felt good. It felt good, because you know what? Oh, I'm sorry, me. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I DM'd this person, and he was so down to me. He was so down to earth. I walked into his business center. He was already wanting to give me free stuff. He was like that nice of a guy. 
And he's somebody who, right off the bat meeting me, he's somebody who picks up off vibes. He's somebody who has taken something of his own struggle in, in realizing that he's sick and tired of working his nine to five. He couldn't do it anymore. And he said, you know what, it's time for a change. It's time to stop doing something and working for somebody when that's just not his mindset. This is somebody who every day, day in and day out, I see him working hard, I see him staying humble, and he created a clothing brand behind it. This is the founder of Revival Apparel. I bring to you Steve Liang. Welcome, Steve. I love the hat. Where'd you get the hat? It's awesome, buddy. All right. Last but certainly not least, this is a very special person in my life. He's somebody who not only has become, you know, a, a physiotherapist for me personally, he also has become a mentor in many ways. He's somebody who I could go to for any advice. I could slap any idea. Only that I can tell him anything. He will fully, honestly, with four kids, a, a business of four locations, will still give us the time of day. And he's somebody who currently has decided to work with the trends something that we're heavily gonna talk about today. And he created a brand new athletic recovery center tonight. Not tonight, he's had it for a few, couple months. <laughs> and he figured that Edmonton is starting to really cultivate this professional athlete niche. And he wanted to join that curve. So already having three locations of Pivotal Physio, he opened up ARC inside Evolve Strength. And he has now been servicing professional athletes such as MMA fighters. NHL players, Eskimo athletes, the full nine yards. And he is here today to shine a light on what that mentality looks like behind the scenes. I welcome you, the one and only Raj Dillon, baby. Testing, testing. All right. Welcome, Rod. Thanks, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> one sec. One more time. Welcome, Rod. There you go. All right. Chapter one. Business versus passion. A nice little feeling. I'm going to get all five of you right here to finish my sentence. Okay? Feel free in any order. We have three mics out of the five. By any means, whoever's ready to start answering, go ahead, okay? Finish this sentence for me. I am a business owner because... So I hate my job. <laughs> and that too. What was yours there? Slightly insane. But yeah, that makes more sense what you said. <laughs> Because no one else is doing what I did. Mic drop. <laughs> Sean. 
because I want to do what I want to do and I want to live how I want to live. Mike, uh, this question is directed to you. So, over the past many, many years since I started music, I remember I come into your basement, you get a studio, a little studio set up, and uh, for me, music has played a very large role in my life. I do it as a side hustle, I do it for fun, and uh, it's consumed a lot of days for me. And it's great, it's positively impacted me. So. Can you tell me a specific story of someone who's come in to resonate to your school over the past 10 years and someone that sticks out to you that has been changed positively uh, by resonate and you? Uh, sure, yeah, and it's awesome that, like I said, we've gone back uh, quite a few years and the studio has grown from at that time. And I think at that moment we didn't know what it was going to turn into, so I'm glad we were able to make a career out of it in that sense. But. Uh, I mean, I think with Music's Connection, like everybody who's come in there, their lives have improved one way or another because we all sort of share that connection. But uh, to pick up a couple, um, we've got one student, his name is uh, Mackay, and he's on the spectrum, and he's nonverbal. So he doesn't talk, he just uh, he mimics. So if you say something, he'll sort of say it back to you. Um, but because of that, his, his ability to communicate with anybody is really, really limited. And he started taking piano lessons with us, and actually his teacher's here in the room and uh, it was awesome. And uh, through music, we actually learned that he has perfect pitch, which is a super, super rare thing. And here's this kid who's, I don't know, what even 10, nine, something around there, um, who can't speak nonverbal, but yet he has perfect pitch, which is this thing, sort of incredible rarity. And because of that now, he, he'll sing and he can play through entire songs. He'll sing full songs now. And he's now got this new level of communication and something that he can sort of uh, use this new skill set and his strength took a weakness, turned it into a strength sort of through music, which has been this amazing thing. And even when it came time for like performances, we would basically simulate what it would be like for him to go up on stage and perform for people. So we did that like a few weeks in advance and we would sit there clap and we'd make three of us before we would set up for a show. So by the time it actually came down to perform, he felt like he was just mimicking something he's already done. It was familiar to him now. So he can use like his songs that he's learning to actually communicate now with the people around him. Um, so that was one really cool way, I think, of like where somebody had a, a, what would be looked at as a weakness or a challenge and sort of turned into strength because of that connection uh, with music they didn't even know they had. So And uh, and he's still with us. We have a picture of him up in the place. And uh, so there's... There's literally hundreds of stories, but that's one that sort of stands out off the top anyways. Nice. That's awesome, Mike. I, I want to kind of segue that into everybody else who, uh, to everyone's understanding, th there's a really big reason why we chose all of our panelists here today. Because in a, in a lot of ways, you guys all have very similar uh, consumers that you're delivering a lot of your products or services out to. And I'd want to know if any of you have a story as well to share where you've had a customer where it did change their life as well, to pick up off of what Mike said. I have lots of stories <laughs> in this category, but I'm gonna just talk about one. He is um, our very first client. He actually, his father-in-law emailed me a few weeks, months before we even opened Ryu, saying that you know, he has a, a basilar aneurysm, so it's an aneurysm on the base of the skull, on his brainstem. And uh, he was a pilot, he is a chef, he made his own wedding cake, super smart guy in his 40s, ended up locked in his body 
Um, he couldn't move anything. When he first came to us, the only way he could communicate was to move his thumb like this or to look up with his eyeballs. Um, he's been coming to us twice a week since literally the first day we opened, and I'm so like proud to say that now he um, can eat with his mouth. He was being tube-fed before, and man, imagine being a chef and had not able to taste food. So he can now eat real food. He eats a cookie before his workout, so I always joke that it's like his pre-workout cookie. Um, he is able to verbally speak. It's small, it's long, it's slow. It's a little bit hard to understand, but he's able to verbally speak. Um, he came into the gym a few months ago, and he was like, what's different about me? And we're like looking at him, we're like, what? I don't know, I don't know. And then he just goes, oh, it's four o'clock. We're like, holy shit. <laughs> You're wearing a watch, you can actually, he can lift his arm up, he can check the time. He actually um, just learned how to use a tablet, so now he has his own email. His wife doesn't have to communicate for him through his email anymore. And just two weeks ago, he came back on Facebook, which was a huge um, step for him because, you know, there's a lot of insecurities that come with having a disability and a lot of stigmas attached to it. And so to be out in the public and to be on Facebook in a public nature was a huge step for him. I mean, his whole life has changed immensely um, to switch sides. We have a lot of little kids that come to our facility. And on the beginning, in the beginning of May, we had one of our little girls take her very first steps in our facility. And like, luckily her mom caught it on camera and like, everybody was crying. And, it was just such an amazing moment to see. So to be able to give that kind of freedom and to give that confidence to people um, is really what drives me. That's amazing. When, when you look at someone like that too, Bean, I, I'd want to add that there's so many people I bet the first battle is even getting themselves to Ryu, coming in and actually getting that service and believing that the time and the energy they put into that is actually going to be a return on them actually having their whole life change 180 for the better. Of course, yeah, I mean, our medical system is backwards and very outdated and decades behind the rest of the world, especially when it comes to neuro rehab. So if you have any kind of spinal cord or brain injury, the thought process has been that you're not going to recover anything, what you have is what you have, be grateful for that and move forward with your life. But that's not true. I'm living proof of it. I have 100, over 100 clients who are also living proof that you can retrain your nervous system. But again comes the stigma of going into, as an able-bodied person, when you go into a gym, how hard is it? Right? Now try having a disability and going into a gym. It's tenfold. Uh, you, know, you need that much more courage. You need that much more motivation. But that's what pushed us to create a safe, judgment-free space where you can be who you want to be. And... Do what you want to do, and then you're accepted. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to segue this next part into chapter one, guys, to a little bit of healthy debate, okay? So there's two people who are on the panel right now who I would kind of like to spearhead the conversation. I'm going to, I'm going to pinpoint Mike, and I'm going to pinpoint Raj for this one, okay? And feel free, guys, to, to pitch in when necessary, because I know everyone here can relate. I find right now the biggest topic is, do I need to focus more on business principles, actually learning how to run a business, or do I need to more so focus on mastering the craft that I'm offering? So for instance, when you look at someone like Raj, he had to go to school for many years to master physio, to know the knowledge of it. However, there wasn't, there wasn't much business principles along the way 
for him to finish his education and be like, okay, great, I now know how to run a physio center. And I'm sure Raj has had many struggles along the way to learn the business end of things. Now, when I compare that to someone like Mike, he's had business experience along the way. He's gone along the ropes of knowing how to run a business to then look at music as a passion. He's not necessarily somebody who knows how to play every single instrument, but he looked at this as an opportunity to open up a resume, have passion in music, take his skills in business, and turn it into what it is today. And both of you have managed, being on opposite ends of the spectrum, creating such amazing business platforms that are pretty much now multi-locations. And I wanna know if, if you heavily stand by your experience, or if you're willing to look the other way and go, you know what, I did wish I had the other. And by all means, one of you please feel free to share first why it is, or, or, or more so talking about how it is that you believe that you should either master your craft first for the audience, or you should learn those business skills prior to turning your passion into a business. I guess I have to go first here. Um, I can speak from the physiotherapy perspective, which is, I get asked that question all the time by newer graduates and younger people. It would be unwise to open a physiotherapy practice and not be a good physiotherapist for lots of reasons. Most of them are kind of common sense. Who's gonna come see you or yeah, I shouldn't get them better, period. So if you don't have the skill in that world, it would be unwise. However, hi Katie. However, um, that's not to say that you have to be the best physiotherapist in the city before you open a practice. I think in my world, you have to have at least a certain threshold of skill, a certain threshold of capacity for then saying, hey everybody, look at me, I can do this really well, please buy my stuff. You know, so, so I think in my world, you have to have a certain threshold of skill, experience, and proof, not only for yourself, but also for others in order to do it well, in order to market it. With that being said, in across industries, that can change. Like if you talk about specialists versus generalists, you don't have to be a specialist in every single thing in order to do well. I think that would actually be somewhat difficult unless you're a certain brain. Most people are good at two or three things really, really well, and then kind of not good at most of the rest. And so you surround yourself with other people who are good at those things. I won't keep rambling here, Mike, you go for it. I, uh, I feel like you pretty much nailed it. Uh, it is, it, is a debate, all right, let's go. I think you're wrong on every point. <laughs> Kenny, brought this guy on here. Debate. Right. Um, I do think it's uh, probably, like you said, kind of industry dependent in that sense, because like, like you kind of mentioned, like myself, we, um, with Resonate, uh, we've been, I guess, quote unquote, successful in what we've been able to do. Yet myself, like I mess around on a few instruments, but I would never teach anybody. I'd be more a student than a teacher. So how does that make sense to then be able to run or decide what our program should be like? Um, but there's still the role of whether you want to look at it as president or CEO or entrepreneur or anything like those. And really that role is to, is to be a problem solver, to put things together, to whether that's for us, people who want to teach and people who want to learn, right? I don't need to be able to play to know about that sort of thing or to make that my focus. And I think actually the, 
like going to try to be an expert has been a detriment to our industry because a lot of schools are owned by people who are often just music teachers and then it started to grow a little bit and thought okay I'll do my own sort of in-home operation and grow it from that side but unfortunately that amounts to a service or policies that are really heavy towards the person who's actually providing the service more heavily towards the professional where there's definitely a role of thinking about the customer and I think that's where we sort of lucked out and have done well and been able to sort of carve out this niche, this market share in a short period of time is because right away we separated those roles. I knew that I'm not the teacher, we're gonna hire people who really know what they're doing in that area. I'm not the recording engineer producer, find the best people that I can you know, in that area. And my job is sort of put that together, focus on what the customer experience should be like, what the teaching experience should be like. I think too often, especially when you've got small businesses, we're again just focusing on what the profession is and not looking at it as a company and what, what's your culture supposed to be like, right? How should the actual company function treat it like it's a, like a Silicon Valley startup or something like that and focus more on developing the business sides? And business is such a general term, right? You're talking uh, psychology is in there and game theory and sales and marketing and design and there's so many factors that if you're trying to be that plus the professional, that can be really tough. And you're kind of a unicorn at that point and I think it's a little bit rarer the case. Uh, that you have a situation like that. So for us, I focused on the build, uh, building of the business and bringing in together people who could offer the sort of professional side of music in that sense. So does that count as debate? <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Like, I find that, you know, moral of the story is it really depends on what your niche is, like what your actual specialty is, right? And then on top of what you're actually servicing, there's so many other things that you have to know. Right? There's the payroll, there's the accounting, there's the marketing, there's the paperwork, there's the reception. Like, there's all of those different things that I find we kind of put at the bottom of the list of our idea a lot of times. And it's just good to know that those are things that are important to realize. Too. Yeah, you want to have industry experience. Like, even if it's in an area that you're, you're interested in, then maybe go work at a place that offers that service for a couple of years and sort of learn how it works. You don't necessarily need to be there for your entire life or have a career out of that or specifically go to school for that profession, depending on what it is. But maybe you can just gain enough understanding of what the industry is and how you can improve it and then go about actually opening and just put the right people together. Absolutely. Thanks for that, Mike and Raj. Next question, last question for chapter one. This one I'm gonna have Sean and Steve start us off and anyone else is welcome to address it if you like. Let's say Sean and Steve, both of you guys won the lottery tonight. Okay, 1.7 billion dollars. Yeah. 1.7 billion? 1.7 bill, brother. <laughs> so you win 1.7 billion, but you guys you love revival, you love Mealcraft, as much as you wanna to go to Punta Cana tomorrow, you don't wanna leave your company, okay? You need to find a solid replacement. So what are maybe up to three qualities or qualifications one needs to fill your shoes tomorrow? Wow. First of all, I just want to apologize in advance. I'm getting over this nasty cough, so I might be coughing a little bit. But uh, yeah, if I won $1.7 billion, I would not be in Edmonton, that's for sure. <laughs> you wouldn't see me forever. But uh, three things that fill my shoes. I mean, I think the biggest thing, I'm sure you guys can all speak for it as well, is passion. You guys need to have a passion for whatever you do. So that person filling their role needs to be passionate about you know, your business, the business model, and the service you provide to your consumers. Uh, passion is one. Two is obviously the skill set needs to be there. Um, I mean, whatever you can do, they better be able to do it just as good as you, if not better. 
And then third one would just be uh, trust. Trust is a big thing. I mean, your business is your baby. You spend with it 24 hours a day. You go to bed with it, you wake up thinking about it. It's always on your mind. Um, you need to have someone that you can trust and who you know is gonna you know, take it to that next level uh, when you're gone, which is for me forever, so. Thanks for sharing, buddy. I think Sean nailed it for all of it. Um, no, <laughs> I think the one thing that I would add to that is like attention to detail. Um, nobody cares about your business as much as you will. And that person has to like, even one of my business partners is here and uh, he's like behind you guys there, but you know, like there's- Wait, Dustin, wait. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> you know, like it's kind of funny cause we, we kind of run a multi-man show at the, the warehouse here, but you know, we'll catch each other's mistakes all the time. And like, you know, I got Dustin doing a lot of the like work for me, but you know, I'll catch on to things that he'll miss and he'll catch on to my shit too. And that's the one thing that I think it's it's hard to you know have something you trust, but you also can't micromanage. Um, that's one thing I've learned through the, the last little bit is that you know be able to step back from it. Um, but yeah, other than that, just accountability, trust, and uh, having good people you can rely on. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that, guys. Does anyone else want to share? No. Fair okay. <laughs> enough. Guys, that concludes chapter one. What we're gonna do now is we're gonna give our first draw prize of the day, okay? So Omen, if you could be a brother, can you just pass me that on the right-hand side? Perfect. So guys, chapter one is concluded, and for the draw prize of chapter one, business versus passion, winner is going to receive a $50 gift card for Mealcraft. All right, here we go. Omid said he doesn't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> Could Yasha please come up to the stage? Yasha. Is Yasha in the house? Oh, <laughs> it's close, Yusuf, it's close. Is Yasha here going once? Okay, I think they got bored. They got really bored. Yeah. Oh, come on up, Yasha. Come on up. Give him a hand, guys. Woo! All right, we got another prize. Next prize winner wins a $50 gift card to Mealcraft, as well as a Revival Apparel hat. Not the one Steve's wearing. Can you pronounce that, Omen? The winner is Bilal. Bilal, give him a hand, guys. How's everybody doing so far? Everything's good, awesome. Chapter two, Let's flip open the page, okay? Next one, guys, is overcoming obstacles and challenges. There's no miracle without sacrifice. And we're gonna open up chapter two for Sean Chai here, okay? Now, if you guys haven't already noticed, when I bring up Sean Chai, I get really bubbly because I've, I've, I've known him for like, pretty much since I was 14 years old. And Sean is somebody who, I've admired, I've gotten great advice from along the way. He's been like a second brother of me, of mine. And he came to India with me years ago. 
And it's just great to see the growth as a person and as a business owner that I've seen from Sean himself over the years. And I want Sean to, to open up the table to discuss some of the challenges that he's faced along the way in being a business owner, especially since Sean has now gone through his first two years of being in business. And for anybody out here, just for a show of hands, who who is right now building something on the side or is a business owner, just so we can get an idea? Put up your hand, please. There you go. So yeah, we have quite a few hands, which is awesome. And I'm sure we can all relate. Those first two years are the hardest years of our lives. I'm sure you can testify to that. Uh, especially when it comes to just getting things organized. It's the most exciting, but it can be very tough. So I want Sean to kind of shine a light on what those challenges look like and maybe how he overcame one of the biggest challenges he faced building Mealcraft along the way. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think everyone can talk about their challenges and their businesses. I'm sure everyone has tons and tons of challenges we go through. So I'll open the floor of just personal growth for me. Um, just challenging myself as an individual, not so much as, you know, the challenges in Mealcraft as a business, but the things, you know, I was afraid of doing, the things um, I overcame. Um, the biggest thing for me um, was just kind of believing in yourself in the beginning, you know? I finished university. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I kind of did the path everyone else did after undergrad, you know, let's find a, a job. Let's, you know, go to post after post on Indeed, throw your resumes out there. Just hopefully someone, you know, hires you for a, you know, entry-level job and for the most part they don't really care about you as an individual. Um, I worked for the bank for a little bit. I just found out really fast that I was just a cog in a piece of a factory and I didn't see myself growing as an individual. So, you know, I told myself, you know, I'm going to take the dive. I'm going to start a company. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I was passionate about fitness, health, and, um, you know, healthy meals being in the industry for over 10 years. So I took that dive. So I think the biggest challenge first for me is one, just doing what you're saying you're gonna do. If you wanna start a business, there is no right time to do it. Um, there isn't that special moment. There's not gonna be, lightning's not gonna strike a certain place and it's gonna be like, wow, okay, there's my sign. It's you just gotta jump in and take the dive. So uh, that's one and just uh, being too hard on yourself too. I think a lot of us as business owners, we're always talking about what we could have done better, um, how it didn't go the way we wanted it to today. And we sometimes forget to look at, you know, the positives and the growth you we've all had, like in years, you know. Um, sometimes I forget to just take a look back and be like, where was I two years ago? I, was, I wasn't even cooking in a kitchen. I was cooking out of a little cube box. Um, I didn't have a fridge. It was, I can tell you guys nightmares and nightmares about the stuff that I did driving around till 12, one in the morning, just delivering food uh, in my car, just trying to get to customers. But uh, sometimes we just forget to take a look back and see where we come from. So to answer that question, Kenny, I think that would be my biggest challenge, just uh, not being too hard on myself. And what I'm doing to combat that actually is, uh, so one of my best friends, KB, we actually decided recently that every day we're gonna just write five things that we're grateful about in life. Um, it can be anything, you know, it can be the little things from, you know, putting, uh, doing your bed in the morning, just the small victories uh, in your day. And then at the end of the day, um, writing about five things that you're happy you accomplished. And, and they can be from the small things to the big things. And I really think that's really helping me um, kind of like sit back and appreciate more of the wins rather than the losses. So, uh, yeah. That's awesome, Sean. You're going to make me cry, dude. I love that. Does anyone else have a, a challenge to share? I know 
Bean, stand by because there's one challenge we want to definitely discuss, but would anyone else like to shine a light with maybe different challenges that any other panelists has faced that uh, shine a light on this topic? I, I'd like to know how you ran a food company without a fridge. <laughs> See, we don't, we don't talk about that. We can talk about that later, Raj. That's a good question, right? Uh, I'll, I'll take that one, Kenny. Um, I don't know everybody in the room. I know a quarter or so of the people in the room. I, I think that it's important to talk about feeling alone. Like sometimes in business as an entrepreneur, you might feel alone, you might feel isolated, off on an island, stresses, worries, whatever comes with that. Uh, I felt alone very, very briefly, but then very quickly realized that I wasn't. So I think it's important to either realize that you're not alone or make sure you're not alone. So figure out which one you need to do, but do one of them. Because if you're alone, you will struggle. Like you're not gonna be able to solve every problem yourself. You need a team, you need people around you who are strong at what they do. And you need people who you can trust on your team. So either find them or identify that you already have them and maybe you're just creating the perception that you're alone. So loneliness is not necessarily true, it might be false. I love that, thanks Raj. And that definitely segues into what we wanna talk about in chapter three, where it takes a team. And to finalize chapter two here, Bean, for those of you who don't know, Ryu Paralysis and Recovery Center, it's not a business. It's a non-for-profit organization. And Bean and I were talking and we wanted to shine a light on, on the struggles of creating a non-for-profit right now, on the niche that Bean is focusing in on, and how the multiple barriers along the way have been the government putting up a lot of these walls when it comes to a lot of individuals who are clearly in pain, who clearly can't even get out of bed, who quit their job, who can't even, they can't even make love with their significant other, just everything from A to Z. Yet, the government still looks at them as, you know what, all the doctors who you visited, they can't identify what's wrong with you. This hits home for me big because I have a friend of mine who was close to becoming a GM of one of the most successful restaurants in the city, who now is pretty much paralyzed in the neck, and he's seen multiple, multiple doctors. He's fighting lawyers at this point. He was at one point close to actually seeing Bean, but he had to go fly off to Victoria to go see if there's any doctors there to help him out. And it's a constant struggle. It's something that unfortunately the government looks at as something that due to the fact that it's unidentifiable, on paper, there's nothing they could do about it, which is stupid. And I wanted Bean to kind of talk about what those challenges look like. And you know what? In front of 40 people, what sort of awareness can we create? What, what sort of light can we bring to everybody who doesn't know about some of the struggles we're facing? Cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, talking about overcoming obstacles, and I mean, I haven't come overcome anything. I don't know even what an obstacle is. I'm sitting in a wheelchair. <laughs> Um, it's just, you know, yeah, so with our system and the type of business that I run, we are the first paralysis recovery center in Edmonton. Um, there is one in Calgary as well, so we can't say we're the first one in Alberta. But um, within Canada, there's five. Within California, there's eight. And so, I mean, yes, the U.S. has more population and stuff, but, you know, Canada, like I said before, is really far behind. And here, in our medical system, if you don't have a diagnosis, if you don't fit into this box, you can't get funding, you can't access programs, because you don't have a label on you. 
And, you know, it's 2019, we're trying to get rid of labels, we're trying to get rid of boxes and stuff, but our healthcare system is designed around boxes. And uh, I have quite a few clients who are undiagnosed, who clearly have some motor impairment, are unable to walk, unable to use their hands, unable to eat, unable to do so many things. And little kids as well, they have genetic conditions, lots of things go undiagnosed with little kids because if you, like I said, if you don't fit into these boxes, you don't get that label. And especially with kids, there is lots of funding available if you fit in a box. If you don't fit in a box, sorry, you're shit out of luck. Try to do what you can do. And if you don't have strong-willed parents or if you don't have the financial backing to help you, there's not a lot that you can do. And unfortunately, a lot of these kids end up in not good situations. Um, so for myself, to open a nonprofit, um, so I, a little bit of backstory, I went after being paralyzed by a virus, I went around to different um, centers, different places, to find activity-based training, which is the therapy that gave me the results that I wanted, and um, at, this, at the rate that I wanted. I went around to all these places, to Calgary, Regina, Vancouver, California. All of them were nonprofits, and um, you know, I really liked that they stood for something and that they were not there to make money, they were there to help people. Um, there was one center in California that started as a nonprofit and then turned to a for-profit model. And that was the center that I went to. And when I first was there, I talked about bringing a franchise to Edmonton. And um, the CEO at that time told me with his Rolex, uh, this is a very lucrative business. There's lots of money to be made here. And that really, like struck a chord with me because I'm like, I'm paying 110 US an hour at your facility and you're telling me you're getting rich off of me. And you know, I went from being an x-ray tech making six figures to last year making $13,000 in the year. Right? Um, so how are you supposed to afford this? Our system, that's what I'm saying, our system is so backwards, our system is totally messed up. But the obstacles that we are now facing is the medical system. It's our biggest obstacle um, and the attitudinal barrier that Alberta has. And I've traveled around and I can honestly tell you the attitudinal, uh, attitudinal barrier in Alberta is way worse than almost the rest of Canada and the States. We have this mentality here where, you know, I make a lot of money, I make 606 figures, I drive a big truck, look at my nice Versace whatever, right? Um, but anything that's different, we don't pay attention to or we're scared of. And uh, I know this all too well because growing up in Edmonton with brown skin, you know, been discriminated against literally since the day I was born, being a girl and now having a wheelchair. I felt it from so many different aspects and um, it's really, really hard to keep a strong a spirit and a positive attitude when the world is trying to always knock you down and always look down at you. But I have a really good role model, my mom, and a really good support system, which is why I'm sitting here in front of you guys. And I take this opportunity to educate everybody and to try to change someone's mind about people with disabilities and about people who are different in general. Um, I kind of went off topic a little bit here, but coming back to obstacles, opening nonprofits, um, like I said, it is the medical system. Right now, the medical system doesn't believe in what we do. And um, I take that and I run with it because I have a very big rebellious side in me 
And my therapist was like, I'm glad you can channel this in like a positive way because I'm rebelling against the medical system. I've had it, I used to work for them. I went through as a patient and let me tell you, it's broken. And so uh, this just fuels my fire and makes me fight even harder because we are doing what they are saying won't happen. And so our, our clients are the results. Eventually they will change. Eventually they will change. And we have a very uphill battle that I'm not ever gonna stop climbing because not only for myself, but for all of my clients, for all of the people who will en end up having a disability of some sort, they need advocates and they need the system to change. And unless we do it, it's not going to. Well, this is we're going to transition into chapter three. Before doing so, we have another drop prize. Okay, so we have a lot of free gifts to give everybody. So, Omen, my brother, please. Go right in there, buddy. Twir yeah, twirl those fingers. Yeah, make those fingers dance. So guys, just so you know, perfect top up on Beans part. The next draw prize is going to be a winner of all Ryu Paralysis swag. So you get a free Ryu hat, you get a hoodie, and you get a shirt. And it was so awesome. When I went to go pick this up from Bean yesterday, and we were kind of talking about the event, she's like, Kenny, you can either pick up the items just like that, or I'm getting my event coordinator coming in tomorrow, and she's going to package it up and put it in a nice bag. And I said, you know what, Bean, let's hold it off and let's bring it the next day. So we have our boy Tony winning the Ryu bag. Come on up, Tony. The last one, guys. We are into chapter three. It takes two to tango. I say best for last. You know why, Omen? Because every single one of the panelists have a business partner, as mentioned in the beginning. And there's a lot of, again, healthy debate that I want to bring up. Because there's some panelists here, guys, who you know damn right who their partner is. There's other panelists who, it's okay, they have a partner and they want to hide behind the scenes. They're okay with that. And I want to bring that up. I want to know the certain nuances, the formula, the, the, the strategy behind why maybe one partner gets more attention than the other, how both of you have managed to work effectively with one another, some of the, the battles that you face along the way. And I'm going to start off with Omid asking the first couple questions before we get there. Yeah, so before we get into that, this is a question for all you guys. And we'll just start off one by one. But uh, what is your anchor? Now, that could be personal or it could be business related. But what is your anchor? What keeps you grounded every single day when you go into your businesses, when you're interacting in your personal life, relationships? What is that for you? Uh, this might be cliche, but it's definitely our customers. It feels weird to call them that because we have such strong relationships with them now. Uh, but absolutely, like the students, like we've got about uh, 12 or 1,300 people come in every week uh, to take lessons, and many of them have been with us for years, and now we've developed really close relationships with them, best friends type of thing, and they're kind of like extended family. And uh, seeing the experiences they do, whether it's a big show or it's them getting in the studio or just the conversations that we have with them, uh, that's really what... Uh, ends up driving me a lot of the time is I don't want to let them down. Uh, at the same time, it amounts to a lot of pressure because the more people you have, the more that are relying on you and all those sorts of things. So there's more pressure that you really don't want to fail. 
Um, but just looking at that, whether it's like watching recap videos of events that we've had or reading some of the stories or posts or like letters that uh, some students will send in, things like that, uh, that that's for sure what kind of you know keeps me grounded and going and motivated is because I feel like I owe it to them to sort of set that example of, of growth and improving and that their experience and their relationship with something that could be so special to them. Um, I have a big part in making sure like what that's sort of like and catering properly so I feel like I hope to them all the time to give them the best possible experience that we can uh, in that sense so uh, that's sort of the case for me anyways. I feel like any other answer you say you're just gonna look like a bad guy after that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah I mean those are great uh, I agree 100% to all of those but uh, I think for me too is I honestly don't know what I would be doing if I wasn't doing some sort of startup, whether it's with you know meal prep or another venture. Um, I just think maybe, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur as well. Um, he always wanted me to go to school, you know, the importance of university and everything. But, you know, after all that, he always talks about how he hates university, how he thinks it's ridiculous. But I think it has a little bit to do with, you know, um, you know, your parents. And then just, yeah, honestly, I don't know what I would do. I think I would be bad at everything else, so. Um, I look at it and it's I cannot fail anymore. Um, just because like, I hated my job so much and I actually gave it up two years ago and went to do Revival full time. So looking back, I'm like, if I was to go back to work, I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, literally giving up everything that's, like it almost hits a soft spot because I'm just like, two years ago, I was like, wouldn't even, I hated going to work so much. And now I look back, I'm like, okay, I can go do my thing and love what I get to do every single day. Um, that's what keeps me grounded. And like the fact that, you know, we, I used to sell apparel out of my trunk, um, you know, a couple hats at a time or whatever it is. And now we are shipping out orders daily. Um, not just in Edmonton, we're shipping across the country. We've shipped to like Australia, Singapore. And we're like, you know, we're just a little, little brand out of Edmonton. And the feeling of like the people actually love what we, we offer as products and apparel. Like anybody can create apparel nowadays. Like you can just order stuff on Amazon or whatever it is, slap your label on it. But the fact that people are coming to me and like they, they actually want to buy my shit, like it it is it grounds me every single day. And the fact just to that, I'll go to work every day, grind every day till two in the morning, whatever it is, and I'll keep going until this thing you know, no more, but I think right now, I think uh, that's what keeps the ground and moving. My answer is totally different, Kenny. <laughs> uh, the things that keep me grounded are the things outside of work, which doesn't mean I don't love what I do. I love what I do and I love coming to work and, and all the positive things that come with that. But the things that anchor me are coffee in the morning, <laughs> good sleep, um, exercise, with people that motivate me. Where's Troy? Niku. People that motivate me, uh, that's things that, that fuel my spirit, which I think lends itself to say, if you take care of yourself, you're likely to be anchored and therefore can take care of others. That's my simple answer. Good answer. Um, I would have to say having an attitude of gratitude. I said this, say this a lot, and um, Sean kind of touched on it earlier, the five-minute journal, being grateful, um, and just the clients as well, right? Obviously, my clients keep me going, and they, you know, on days when you're just like, oh my God, what did I, what did I do? 
why did I do this? You know, that's when you get those messages like, wow, like just because of you, I just sat up for 10 seconds unsupported. Or, um, you know, but for myself, I try to remember to be grateful because you can get so wrapped up in your own problems in your own head. And like when you're running a business, there's so many outside factors too that you have to be aware of and the stress levels are very high. Um, but uh, stress is what put me in a wheelchair. And so I take my stress levels very seriously. So in order to reduce them, I live a life of gratitude. And um, I'm grateful for my hands. I'm grateful to be able to breathe on my own. I'm grateful to be able to eat on my own. I'm grateful to be here. And you guys will be going in my gratitude journal today. Um, and I think if you have an attitude of gratitude, then life is a little bit simpler. You focus on the right things that you're supposed to focus on and the other problems will just kind of work themselves out. Thanks, Pete. Uh, my second question is, again, for all you guys, um, a lot of people, especially maybe in this room, I know some guys um, who started side hustles and now are looking to start their own business. Um, what are some of the best practices for someone who's working in corporate or working a nine to five um, to transition out and uh, fully take the plunge? What's maybe one thing? Get fired. <laughs> that was my case. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, don't take that advice. <laughs> Someone else give a better answer than that. <laughs> hold on, hold on. So you got fired? Yes. That's and right. then? Kind of, sort of. And then you went home and what? And I went on one of those cliche find yourself trips. I went to the other side of the world. Where? Uh, where, where? New Zealand. New Zealand? Yeah, yeah. Pushed myself sort of out of the box, said yeah. yes to everything, tried to connect the dots and figure out what my next sort of thing uh, was. In that case, I didn't want to... Uh, it was another sort of partnership adventure that went sideways and my life was sort of turned uh, upside down very quickly and in that case I never wanted to give that kind of power uh, to somebody over my life again and also I never wanted to assert my authority in that way over somebody else again and this idea that you know it's not personal it's business that's ridiculous it's it's one thing you, you know people's livelihoods uh, a lot of times they rely on you where they work and, then, and things of that nature so just wanted to sort of shift that uh, in that sense so mine was a lot more sort of abrupt I guess in that sense there wasn't yeah. like a I guess with like we had the production company before that which we had on the side while I had a full-time job um, so that eventually came into the full-time uh, setting I think uh, partially out of whether it was necessity or that was sort of the best option at the time and you know it ended up making sense once you connect the dots later on but in the moment you don't really know so yeah and I think that I think I remember when we were talking on the podcast you mentioned how you went on this trip and then you came back and immediately you and Justin um, went in and, and, and found a lease and, and went just full on into it. it. Almost you didn't have time to think in a sense. It was just like, okay, well, I got to do this. Let's do it right now. And you guys opened the doors. Yeah, it was super quick. So we like when I came up with the idea it was in May of 2012 and we were open in September 2012 with a 11 room studio and 15 staff and about 50 students really quick. And before that hadn't really run a business. I've been in like management types of positions, sales types of positions, but and had never worked in the industry outside of just, you know, recording some clients and producing for them. So it was an entirely new realm. So 
uh, you know, you rely heavily on the people that were there, but yeah, it was all, it was, I mean, it was too fast in a lot of ways, uh, because there wasn't a lot of time to kind of, you had to figure out really, really quick, so we made a shit ton of mistakes, you know, early on, but you just try to learn from them and grind, so we basically just let a massive fire under our asses, so we had no choice but to make it, because every month could have been the last month, uh, so fortunately we're still here, but. That was going to be my question to you, like, you've launched so fast, um, do you, I guess if you look back on it, could you, do you wish you could have, you know, maybe done it with more planning, or do, would you have done it differently? Uh, I'm not much of like a, I try not to yeah. go on the regret side of things, and because yeah. like you said, uh, as being business owners, you're constantly living in the negative all the time. Your job is to look at everything that needs to be improved and everything that's wrong all the time. So you're, you're naturally just putting yourself in that negative energy, so you're trying to find out ways to combat it, because if you just sit there and think about all the things that are great, uh, then that's when you're going to start to sort of level off and start to go the wrong direction uh, in that sense. So, you know, I try to look at it and say, like, if I asked myself seven years ago, if I could tell them, like, okay, if you go on this path, this is where you're going to end up. Here's all the good things that are going to happen, but here's all the bad things that are going to happen. Because naturally, there's stuff that ends up happening, whether it's relationships with friends, family, partners, things like that that deteriorate over time based on what direction you're going. You never know what it's going to be. Uh, knowing the stresses that are going to be on your life, those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, for me, definitely the answer is still uh, yes, for sure. It's a resounding yes. Um, so, in that sense, I mean, it would have been nice for sure. I, I look back at some of the things we did, the choices I made, the mistakes we made, and think like, oh my God, like, I can't imagine doing that right now. But that's the best teacher, going through those experiences, you know, having those panic attacks, not knowing whether you're going to be open. That's when it is, you internalize it and it becomes very real and you make sure you don't make those mistakes again. And when you're forced to learn quickly, you'll grow quickly in that, in that sense too, I think. But, uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Mike. Going into the next part, I'm gonna put Steve on the spotlight here. And when you look at what Steve's doing, Steve is somebody who with Revival, when I walk into a fitness gym, majority of everybody I see, they're wearing Revival. It's awesome to see. Steve is somebody where with Revival, I walk into an MMA gym and I'm like, oh wow, look at all these people wearing Revival. Third target segment, I'm on the street on a Saturday night on White Ave, and I see this, you know, so kind of like this juice, juicy guy, you know, he's, he's got big muscles, he's got his girl, he's holding her real tight. He, look, he looks like he's just jacked up, right? He's all fired up. And I, I approach him, he's wearing Revival. And I'm like, hey man, like, how, do you, how did you hear about Revival? And, and he's like, oh man, me, me and my boys in Fort Mac, you know, we, we support Steve. And I'm like, man, that's awesome, right? Like, I'm just saying, it's great. Now, from a commerce perspective, from a marketing major perspective where I come in, I was taught in school, target market, target market, focus on your target market. That's great and all. But when I see someone like Steve locally, look and see what he's done. He's, he's, he's targeted everybody. The juice monkeys, the, the Fort Mac guys, the, the MMA fighters, it, like the, the list never ends. And I wanna know, Steve, is this something, honestly, was this something that you planned where it was like, okay, one by one, or did you kind of, you know, in terms of advertising, did you do a campaign to get everybody going, or did you start seeing the trends pick up and you're starting to realize these are the guys buying my product, and did you cater to the majority? So what did it look like? Who was controlling that situation? Was it you seeing what, what the trends were and who was buying it, you catered to it, or were you like, fuck it, let's, let's do this for everybody? So a little background story of uh, how this all started. 
Um, I was like 140 pounds when I started this brand. You know, skinny Asian dude in a market where it's dominated by jacked up white guys. Okay. Um, so right away here, uh, I started selling to hats to everybody, but it, like the majority of them are jacked up white dudes. And uh, I didn't fit in. But, you know, as things go, we're like, okay, this is what, uh, this is our market. So let's keep pushing it to the same people. And then we realize that the bodybuilding world is very small. And as you can see, four years ago, bodybuilding was a huge phenomenon. Everybody was competing. And nowadays, the target audience has gotten way smaller. The shows have gotten smaller. And so you gotta adjust. And um, as time went on, we were like, hey, you know what? Who's buying our stuff? It's not just these guys anymore. It's people who have fallen in love with the story itself of like why we're in Culver Revival. And you know, we get audiences, guys, girls, whatever it is. And we even had you know, mostly a lot of girls buying unisex clothes from us. Um, you know, men's tees became, uni like we called, started calling unisex. And then, so we started adjusting that way. And um, then we started seeing, like, the way I, I design products is, what would I wear? And, you know, you're not gonna cater to the masses because everyone has a different style. Clothing is just a weird thing that, you know, you can walk in a store, you know, you can see, somebody has like five same people have the same clothes and then the next day that you know nobody wants it anymore so you just gotta keep evolving um we, we watch the trends you know i'm uh, i don't know i'm kind of an eye for it um but also i would essentially look at the things that i would do myself like you know you you just can't uh you, you can't create it for everybody you know and for me when what happened with the brand is that i created staples and that was way easier. Like everyone's gonna wear a hoodie, everyone's gonna wear a t-shirt, and then from there on, once you have your target audience, then start building from there. We started getting into you know the crop tops this year. Um, we've been asked that for four years to build crop tops, and finally we're like, you know what? Let's do it because we have a target audience for it. Um, even tank tops. You know, it was t-shirts, hoodies, and hats for the last really four years of the company. And this year has been the, the biggest growth year we've ever had. I'm not expecting even to double from last year into this year, and then, and uh, that's where you know the, the brand's going into now. Like everyone tries to, um, well, I think the term is like boil a seed. When they come up with a clothing brand, everyone wants ten new products. They want twenty new things in the year afterwards. That's not how it works. Um, you once you hit the basics, then grow from there, and then you need the audience for it too. I love that. I really like that. You know what I got out of that, Steve is. It's really two things, right? You, you, you mentioned to us, what would I wear, right? You did that mentality on top of what is the majority of your audience saying, sticking to those two things is very important, especially for us, right? I wanna know who is actually listening to our stuff and what they wanna hear, especially for what your consumers want to wear from your brand labeled as Revival. And second of that is I realized that, especially I'm, I'm gonna be biased in our 20s, what we want to wear today might have been different from what we wanted to wear two years ago. In terms of style, in terms of trends, we're picking off of what we, what we like now. And what I like about that is that allows me to look at my first episode we did on the show or just anything I've done in the past couple years and accept that if I don't like how it turned out now, I can realize that I'm kind of growing. You're growing with your brand. And you realize that now what you're gonna be offering is something that you like now. And that might be different even six months later. Yeah, just to add to that, like, you know, if you're if you create a brand for yourself or just create a brand 
you slap a label on it, you wouldn't, if you wouldn't wear it in public, nobody else will. You're your own billboard. So that's why I look at it like you'll rarely, unless I have to be suited up like Kenny right now and looking fresh like that, um, rarely will you catch me with a piece of RBL on me. You know, like my parents even see it. They're like, man, like, put on something nicer today. And I'm like, no, gotta, gotta walk outside with our own stuff. Exactly. And now here's the interesting thing. You just, perfect transition. Someone like Steve, as you guys can see, he actually is his brand. So when you look at Steve Liang, he is Revival Apparel. He does his best to take his personal brand and he associates it with Revival. And I understand there's some panelists here who might differ. Maybe you like the idea of separating Raj Dillon from Pivotal Physio. Maybe you like the idea of realizing that, okay, you want to have your business speak for itself. You don't want a name attached to it. So I want to kind of create healthy debate for everybody here. And whoever wants to start, maybe it's even Steve if you want to elaborate on that why you feel like it works to your best ability to, when you get the chance, have your name attached to your brand. When you associate yourself as you know, client-facing and being the image, and, and how that's worked in your favor. And for others, how you feel about keeping it separate and why that works for you and why you do that. So, uh, starting with that, it's like, I feel like one, social media, and even the word entrepreneur is so glorified. Um, so, what I did with the revival is I created a story brand. Um, you know, outside of RVL, people have kind of fallen in love with why I'm doing this because everyone can slap a label on a T-shirt, and call their brand, try to sell it online, and do some social media stuff with it. But with revival, I'm a, like I'd say a living proof of what uh, I'm doing. Right, I'm an entrepreneur, and uh, you know, living this revival life, and this is my own story of you know, I'd say the revival story. And that's where I think it excelled. Um, you know, we're just not just anybody else that uh, just threw a label on something. Absolutely. I have to add to that, Steve. So we, we met today for the first time in person, right? But I've followed you before. And I've followed your brand. And I like it because of your tagline. Work hard, stay humble. Right? And that's you. That's who you do. That's what you do. Thank you, Rush. So your tagline, I think, is what makes it more attractive. The brand itself, the clothing is attractive, but then your tagline makes it emotional. It makes people feel something. Because the t-shirt is a t-shirt, but the, the tagline makes people feel something. So now they feel connected to a message. That's what brings people together for your brand. No, exactly, I agree with that. And like a lot of things, uh, you know, I, I love when people come and approach me in the street. Because, you know, it, I'm a, I tell this everybody, like, I'm a nobody. You know, I'm just a guy that created a brand that you know, I'm passionate about, and the fact that people come up and talk to me about it, and you know, tell me about my life sometimes, it's it's uh, it's kind of rewarding, and just uh, you know, it's it's cool to see people want to wear my stuff. Um, I tell this to everybody, it's it's just a piece of clothing, but the fact that people are drawn to the message behind it and why we're doing what we're doing is, I think, more important. Well, that's definitely fair, and then again to differ, right? Now we look at someone like Sean Chai. Right? He's somebody who, funny story here, this is a true story guys. When Sean was building a lot of marketing for his brand, he wanted to create a lot of nice raw professional photos. And he probably did like a three, four day photo shoot with me, KB, Danny on some days. And I'm telling you over five times, more than my one hand can count, people were going up to me and KB, people were going up to Danny and they were like, man, sick idea, man. Like you guys, Mealcraft, I see it. You guys are like MMA healthy. I love it, man. 
And then Sean's like, dude, I, like everyone thinks it's your brand, but like he didn't mind it, right? So uh, it's interesting to see that someone like Sean, he could easily be in front of the camera, he could easily be the model himself, but I wanna kinda see what the other side looks like. It's great to see someone like Steve who, Steve, you're a lot like me, I'm the same way, you know? Like you create something and you wanna be in front of the camera and you wanna show that you love your brand. How about you, Sean? Why is it that you stay behind the scenes and, and how do you think that, that betters your business and, and Mealcraft speaking for itself? So, I mean, to touch on those photo shoots, so I brought Kenny along and uh, we're trying to like get the shots and everything, get the nice drone shot, but I turn on my photographer and all I hear is, hey, hey, guys, one more of me. And then he's just posing. I'm like, Kenny, Kenny, come on, we gotta get this going. And the photographer's just like, oh, he just wants more shots of himself. And Kenny's just what posing against the wall, like doing the model poses and stuff. So, but that's Kenny for you, that's why I love him. Um, yeah, so, sorry, the question was why do I separate myself from my brand? Yeah, in terms of strategy, in terms of you sticking with that theme? <coughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the way I see it with Mealcraft, it's uh, the business is designed for busy individuals, busy professionals. I mean, there's a lot of demographics we like to target. Um, you know, the fitness enthusiast, um, the everyday, so you want to call average Joe, the, you know, business professional. So I felt like, you know, Mealcraft isn't my face, it's the face of all those individuals, whether it's, you know, a MMA fighter like KB or Kenny or Danny, or a boxer like Danny, or it's a, you know, business professional like my friend TJ or something. So I really wanted to capture a lot of these people in their elements and why, how we can feel their lifestyle with, you know, fully uh, prepared meals delivered to their door. And also too, I don't know, I've just, I've never, um, like to be in front of the camera too much. I've always wanted to, I don't know, I don't take a lot of pictures and I just thought with my business too, I wanted it to not be, not that it would be about me, but I just didn't want any, like my face attached to it. I wanted the business to be itself and I wanted Sean to be Sean, so. It's a damn shame when you're that handsome, man. I'm telling you, it's a damn shame. Thank you for sharing though. Uh, something I wanna add guys as we conclude before I pass the mic to Raj, to also conclude is, I hope you all realize that out of the three chapters today, it was never just choosing one over the other, right? I didn't want everyone to come here today and think that they were gonna get some secret formula as how they should go back and run your business or how they should go back and go about your life even. I want you to understand that when you look at chapter one, business versus passion, have both. Have that passion, have those set of business skills, get an idea of both. I hope you understand that you got a little bit of differentiation here. For chapter two, I want you to understand that, you know what, challenges are gonna come. I've met a lot of friends along the way who had great ideas, wicked ideas. And then they just never did it. They never did, and I asked them, well, why didn't you do it? And they just felt like it was gonna be too damn challenging. And number three is, it takes two to tango. I want you to realize that, you know what, with business partners there, whether they're in the shadows or whether they're with you every step of the way, understand that as long as you guys communicate with one another day in and day out, and you don't try and, you don't give up because of the conflict you have with one another and you stay on the same page. Every single day, it's gonna be you know, a slow climb forward. And as you heard from everyone here today, we've had some of you who've been in the business for, for years, some of you for two years, and you, and you heard from every single one of our panelists that you're gonna be struggling every day. My mom and dad were business owners and every day they brought the business home and as much as there were wins, there were losses too. But again, you have to have that specific type of personality in order to run a business. And I know every single one of these guys have that. So can we please everybody give a big round of applause for every single one of them.
That was amazing, by the way, honestly. Like, I dreamed of this moment. And just, just seeing this live is amazing, I swear to God. If I could get Raj, I know, so Raj is funny. I called every single, Omid and I called every single one of these guys. And we had a personal chat, you know, one week out. We actually originally, I'll tell you guys honestly, we got everyone together and I was like, guys, you know what? Each of you, you're gonna have 10 minutes. You're gonna talk. And then I realized after I did that a few weeks, I, I kind of touched base with everybody and, and all the panelists were like, okay, yeah, we're just gonna talk about whatever we talk about. And then I realized, okay, Kenny, you know, you gotta take a back step. You gotta create a theme. You gotta, you gotta set the questions. I went to probably, Omid and I went each to like at least five networking panels out there. And we got an idea of what it looked like. So we realized we had to go back to the drawing board. And I talked to every single one of them and it was great. I got some, I got some feedback. I got some questions to ask. We, we created this you know, structure. And when I asked Raj, out of all of them, he said, you know what, just, just make sure I talk last. And just, just, just two things, I wanna focus on you know, preparation and uh, whatever, whatever else, I'll just, we'll just let it flow. And you've done a great job of doing so, Raj. And I now wanna leave the floor open before the third draw prize, because there's three. I wanna leave the door open for you before question and answer, because you guys deserve to ask some questions too. To say whatever you wanna say, to ask any of the other panelists questions, you have the floor, Raj. That's a lot of power and a lot of responsibility. So now I feel like I have to make it really bold and really impactful so that everyone's like, wow, he had some magical words to say. And I don't know that that will happen, so let's try something simpler. Um, I think one thing we didn't touch on today, but maybe went without being said, and now we'll say it, is you know, how do we define success and how do we define leadership? I think that it's important to within our businesses, within our lives. We touched on attitude of gratitude and things like that. But have a desire to influence others in a positive way, which might be social, it might be health, it might be fitting them well with apparel so they look good and feel good. Like as, as funny as that sounds, that's gonna increase their confidence. So like have meaning and purpose to whatever brand or company you're running that is bigger than yourself and bigger than just making money. Although that's important too. Have a desire to make impact elsewhere. That's my message. Um, we're gonna stay, right? So if anybody wants to have, are you gonna open the floor? Absolutely, yeah. oh. yes. Thank you for that, Raj. It is at this time, ladies and gentlemen, where I wanna thank you guys. This would not be possible without the at least 40 people in attendance tonight. I really hope you all enjoyed everything that we had to say today. I really hope that you guys all come back for our first 30 guests that came Everyone kind of got a little goodie bag. I hope you realize that there's still some cards left for you to grab. Everyone inside your bag, you have a free complimentary coffee beverage from El Centro. And as well, please, if anybody wants to come back and enjoy coffee, come back, check this place out. You know, go on a date, take your significant other, bring your friends here. As well, if anybody needs any music advice or anything along the lines of that, you have big music corporation here. These guys do birthdays, they do weddings, they do networking events, you name it. So they're the guys to go to. In the next 30 minutes, guys, we're at about 8.30 here. We're going to give the drop prize. We're going to open up for Q&A and then we're all going to stick around till around 9 o'clock for anyone to, to join us for a drink. Okay? So here we go, Omid. It's on you, buddy. <laughs> Wiggle those fingers, buddy. All right, guys, just so you know, the third draw prize, this is really exciting. I thought it was a really neat thing for Mike to do. This winner is going to win four free music lessons. 
So if the kid in you who always wanted to learn drums or guitar, like me, I hope I won, and you wanted to go learn the best music lessons in town, then you're gonna be able to do that resonate on top of a free recording studio, right Mike? So they get yeah, to come. Three hour in the studio and then four lessons too. Awesome. Even so if it's not the kid in you. Exactly, and I'm really hoping whoever wins, please like text me and I could go with you for that recording studio. Like let's grab drinks, let's have a rap session or something, I'm down. So without, oh wow, okay, now I know this is gonna happen. Without a doubt, let's bring my boy Seth Johnson to the floor. All right, thank you guys. So, Q&A guys, Q&A. It is at this point in time, we're gonna take the next 15 minutes for anybody and everybody, raise your hand. I'm gonna pass the mic to you. You're gonna ask a question either to all the panelists or to one specific panelist, okay? And we'd like to open the floor. Who would like to ask the first question? And any question, guys, anything. There's no stupid question in here. Oh, yes, Gagin. Question is for Raj. If you could be stranded on an island with any four people around the world, who would you choose and why? It's so easy, Guggen. You set me up with four, my four kids. No, no. It's too easy. No, that's so cliche. No, you can't choose your kids. Okay, so, so non family. No. Non family. Like, yeah, four okay. like, resources. Resources? No, like people who can actually make your time on that island. Yes, Gavin just said the slogan for the first time. Okay, so four people that are going to have influence on me and who with whom I can survive. Michael Jordan, because I think it's important to exercise. And if you're going to do it, you might as well play against Michael. <laughs> Not Rachel, not Lee. No. Um, I think it's important to have some intellectual play, so... Maybe Malcolm X, some healthy debate, a little fire, some leadership qualities. It's probably something to rub off there. I think that's a good one. Um, Penelope Cruz is pretty beautiful. <laughs> Let's add her to the island of four influencers. <laughs> Who else? Need a chef. Antonio. Antonio from my Al Central. There's the fourth. All right, next question. Yes, I'll come over. Uh, first off, I just want to say I, I commend all of you. Uh, wonderful panel. And, uh, Second floor podcast, really great job. Uh, this is a question for everybody. Uh, if each of you can provide one takeaway for all of us, what would it be? Never give up. Whatever obstacle you're facing, whatever problem you're facing, whether it be business, personal, whatever, just know that you will get through it, things will get better, and you can't ever give up. We come close to wanting to give up on ourselves all the time. And uh, especially in a day and age where like the suicide rate is really high, 
amongst teenagers, amongst people with disabilities, amongst a lot of people, adults with depression. Um, you know, it takes one wrong thought for you to end up giving up on yourself. And I th really think you need to look at, perspective makes a big difference in this. Um, you know, know that there is always somebody who has it worse than you and uh, know that you will get through it and then you have to look inside yourself and find that spirit, find that light and never let it go out. Be like Bean. <laughs> uh, create a vision and follow it. Um, there's so many times that you, know, you can just deviate off course, but um, that's the one thing I did from start. I was like, I knew what I wanted uh, out of this company, and I'm just following through. I know a lot of sacrifices in between, but this is, uh, this is what I want to do, so that's, that's it. Um, surround yourself with people who you want to be like. Um, I mean, I'm, heard, I've, I'm sure you guys have all heard the same, but you know, be the dumbest person in the room. Like, surround yourself with the smartest people you know. Surround yourself with people whose uh, values, characteristics that you do treasure. And I truly believe you do make up, you know, whether it's three or five of your closest friends. Because um, those people are going to really mold who you are and who you will be. Um, yeah, I guess a couple things. Uh, one, obviously we need to make money to have our businesses function, but I would try to say that uh, profit should be uh, a result but not your reason for doing business. Whatever you're going into, if you're only going into it for money, you're almost certainly going to fail. It'll be a disaster. So you have to have some sort of deep care uh, for the work that you're doing. And also in the way that you said, surround yourself with good people and good things. Be ruthless with cutting out the people and the things that aren't good for you, that are negative, that are um, not people who are being... Um, accurately critical who are going to help you you know you don't want everyone to just be kissing your ass all the time and tell you oh this is the best idea ever you've got to go with it doubters are a good motivation uh, but people who unnecessarily pull off you for no reason uh, you've really got to be ruthless uh, i think with cutting that stuff out because it will have such a big negative impact on you ongoing so uh, i guess those two things you only ask for one but there you go thank you I, uh, I just don't have like question, I just have like, uh, I, can he ask you about that, if you win a lot of max or something like one point something billion dollar, and you want to choose like a person who is like trustworthy, trust I think the word trust, but like in these days, in this technology, why we need the person who trusts, one person we can trust, because we can check everything if someone is doing wrong and anything else, why we need the person who is trustable, is it like important to get a person who is only trustable or not, instead of we need a person who is hungry, who is hungry for money, he has nothing, he just want hungry for a knowledge and hungry for money and find that person instead of finding the person who is like trustworthy? Um, I can start off by answering this question. So I think you're asking me, you know, if I had $1.7 billion and I left, um, who would I choose to replace me? And you're asking, you know, why not get someone who's hungry, who like, you know, is driven, wants that money, um, trust, you know, because nowadays, 2019, you have so much technology, you can outsource a lot of things, hire freelancers for different projects, things like that. Um, I think it really comes down to, like, why did you start the business? Did you start the business to make a lot of money? Um, from what I've learned, not a lot of businesses really breed long-term success if it's just driven based solely on profit. So when I say trustworthy, 
you really want to give someone the business who understands the vision and the long-term goal. Like for meal prep, you know, is it, are you doing it so you can get as many people as you can, take Edmonton, take Vancouver, take across the country and generate as much revenue, or are you doing it because you see there is a service that is valued and people actually need this product and you see, you know, when people get it, you know, it saves them time to spend more time with their family. You see when they lose 20 pounds or gain 10, 15 pounds of muscle, you see that joy, you see that confidence, you see all these things that change in that person. I truly think someone who understands um, the vision, that's someone and someone who ultimately you trust who will understand that, you they will be more successful than the person who's just doing it solely for profit because they'll never understand it. They'll never get in the trenches I feel that person will get in the trenches and they'll give up because, you know, they'll, they'll say it's too hard versus the person who's like, you know, in that same situation, but um, they understand, you know what, I'm doing this because I know it's helping so many people. I'm doing it for a bigger cause and money and then and even myself, you know, um, that's my two cents on it. This uh, actually reminds me of a story that I read about Lou Lemon. Um, with Lou Lemon, when Chip Wilson sold off to a board of, or I guess, brought in a board of directors, uh, the quality of Lou Lemon came down because all they cared about was money. Um, he was a, the guy that designed all the fabrics. He was the one that designed all the sewing and everything like that. And the second that they essentially booted him out of the company, you could see the word Lou Lemon was going. Um, I mean, they're the most profitable apparel company out there probably right now. But you know, how many girls have had problems with like chafing and like all the different aspects of uh, the pants now. The R&D has like, I'd say gone down a little bit. Uh, the quality has gone down and that's a result on basically somebody's too hungry for, like a board director's being hungry over money instead of the quality and delivering a good product. So, uh, I Hi. So how, this is for everybody or anybody, how do you stay true to yourself and keep on keep your vision and on that path and how do you find people who have that same motivation and hunger for your business? That's a really good question. Um, I feel like you have to find, uh, finding you, so with my business, right, I started it because this is my life and I want to help other people and I want to help them through their dark times when nobody helped me. Um, when you're Stay true to your vision. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, we've seen, I've seen lots of other businesses like mine crumble because people lose sight of their vision. And I've seen lots of nonprofits who have great ambition, great vision, and then they start going after the money and you lose sight of your vision. That's something that I never want to have into my organization. And me and my business partner talk about this all the time. And we talk about it with our staff at all of our staff meetings. Do you believe in your clients? Do you believe in yourself? Do you believe that people will walk again? Do you, what, do you, what do you actually believe in your core, right? How do you think? What, do you, what drives you? And you have to find the people who keep that in them. And as a boss, as a business owner, an entrepreneur, it's my job to instill that in my staff and to instill it in our volunteers and to instill it in my clients. And um, 
I just feel like, you know, like I read my mission and vision statement nearly almost every day because, well, I apply for grants and I apply for a lot of things and you have to write your mission and vision. So I have to copy and paste it a lot anyways. But it's important to always have it in your head, right? You need to know why did you do this? Why did you start? Do you want to make money? Yeah, obviously everybody wants to make money. And for a business, whether it be nonprofit or for profit, you need money in order to keep going. But is that the end all be all? No, like you need to really keep in your brain why you started this. And it's really easy to slip on the other side when you start seeing those profits. And like I said, that center in California who turned for profit, um, they are now closed. And they were the leaders in spinal cord injury recovery. They were open for over 15 years, had franchises around the world. And now they've all shut down because they turned for profit. Bean, can you share with us your vision statement, if that's okay? <laughs> or your no. mission statement? <laughs> yeah. We exist to inspire, motivate, and promote um, promote physical recovery uh, through an activity-based training program for people with spinal cord injuries and associated disorders, through um, education, um, knowledge, and uh, partnerships. I love it, 100%. Thanks. That's awesome. I'll build on that one. I think the second part of your question was how do you surround yourself with those types of teammates? Is that correct? Um, if, if we all behave in that way, that's in line with our mission and vision regularly, and if we promote it on our website, verbally, in grant applications, and in speaking with people when we're talking about our business, if we truly believe that, it will come through just because I'm being sincere to you, right? And if you feel that same way, you'll connect with me. And you might just remember me, or you might call me later, or you might email me. But if we, if I truly believe it, and you connect with it, you'll remember because you felt something, and others will feel the same. So you know, I think it's important to be sincere, and important to share that sincerity with others. And like a magnet, it will draw those types of people towards you. And then, of course, I think Mike used a nice phrase earlier. You, you, you said something like, "Be relentless about letting the others go that don't fit with that type of ethos." Yeah, I think having like when you figure out whatever your core focus is going to be of your company and just making sure you sort of stay away from the shiny stuff per se and make sure that everything that, that you're doing, whatever service or program you're creating, does it sort of fit into that funnel? Does it still fit with the core focus? Does it still fit with what your sort of vision is 10 years out? And when you're bringing people on, are you hiring based off of what your values actually are? And if you're being genuine about them and creating what they are, then you're hiring based off of that. Then, you know, eventually you'll just end up with more and more people that are the right people. I don't think... I think it's pretty tough probably to get it to 100%, and uh, especially when you start off in the beginning, you're probably going to end up with a lot of people start with you or aren't with you a few years down the road. Uh, but I think if you sort of figure that out and are clear with it, sometimes I think for us especially, you know, it took a few years to kind of figure out what exactly we, you know, what was the sort of big goal, what was the big picture of all this? And then starting to actually look at the people and seeing, do they fit within what that is? And are we representing those values? You know, and are we hiring off of them? Are we firing based off or developing, basing off of those as well? And then sort of eventually, I think you just over time face up the people who don't need to be there and then have a great group who has, you know, fantastic buy-in and really can take that vision uh, way further than you as sort of the leader of the company ever can on your own. Uh, I'd say like believing in what you do is your essentially your sales pitch, um, because like Raj says, like it it resonates. You know, people get connected to us. Like you know, uh, with the clothing brand, people glorify certain things, and 
um, you know, being an entrepreneur is glorified nowadays too. And for me, like even with the second part of your question, or talking about bringing people in, it's like building a good culture. Um, you walk into Pivotal, and everyone there is welcoming. Everyone's got a smile on their face, and you know it's it's inviting. And you walk into our warehouse, the same thing too, right? Like that's that's what we want to build. We have a good group of people who like want to build a solid culture behind RVL. Um, you know, can you going into the bar and talking to some juice monkey who's massive and probably punch lights out of him? But actually, no, you fight back. I know. Um, but like, you know, like that feeling like connected with people, and that's I think that's important. Like with a brand, you walk up to some anybody wearing RVL, and they're the same kind of thing. Like, rarely would you read somebody that you know wearing RVL that wouldn't be happy to say hello. I love that. Yeah, just to kind of tee off of what Steve said. Imagine the type of environment you want to be able to create in your own household. Why not do the same thing for your business, right? I mean, we. We, we tend to kind of separate both, but I'm a big believer, and if, if you know me really well, I always try to metaphorically relate your personal relationships in your house with your business. And the same thing with everyone who had the chance to speak. Your customers, like Mike said, their family, it almost, it almost feels weird to call them a customer. And when you walk into each and every single one of their places, you're walking into their home, right? I come from an Indian background, and I know every single time I walk into my own home or in, in my aunt's place or uncle's place, it immediately becomes this, this sense of this selfless service of, oh, have a seat. What would you like to eat? You know, how can we entertain you? Why not do the same thing for your business? You know, whatever service or product you're giving, you're entertaining. You're making them feel 10 times happier the moment they walk out than when they walked in. And I feel like each and every single one of you do an amazing job of that in your businesses. So it's awesome to see. I just want to add one more uh, point on that. And this is our, when it comes to your employees, I kind of want to debate with you guys. I don't think your employees will ever be um, as committed as you are just because it is your business. Um, but I mean, all these, all, you, all the things that you guys mentioned, you know, the value, bringing, you know, a culture, showing them being a leader versus a boss. But uh, I don't think they will ever uh, work as hard as you just because at the end of the day, it is your business, not their business. And I think you just need to be okay with that and you need to understand and realize that as well. Um, yeah, I wonder what your guys' thoughts are on that. Yeah, of course. So, so if you look at uh, companies like WestJet, so they're not employees, they're shareholders. So companies such as WestJet or Apple or um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, they treat their employees like shareholders and not employees. I think that's a I think that's a great uh, program that they do because now you know they're not employees anymore. They're essentially part of the business. Um, personally, for me, if I try and put myself in their shoes as an employee, I would still think of myself as an employee just because yeah, I do have a part of equity now into this company. But if I was to think realistically, I don't think it would be big enough for me to be really considered. Um, you know, like ownership that's just my opinion on it if it was in my shoes but i mean like i said promoting a healthy culture and positive culture but i just think some things you just need to realize no one's going to work as hard as you because why why should they work as hard as you it's your business you developed it you have the vision you have the passion i think it would be a little unfair to expect the same type of uh energy from an employee but i mean like i said like 80 percent, even 90 percent. i think that's pretty damn good too um. 
I would have definitely agreed 100% up until maybe the last like, few years because we've been forced to grow to a point where I can't have it be the case anymore where I'm the hardest working person or the most dedicated because it was literally killing me. It's too much. Um, and what I found the big difference was is there was definitely a period of time where I just didn't, maybe didn't trust it enough. Like you said, like it's, it's your business, it's your baby, it's hard to let go, it's hard to give people the reins a lot of time because are they going to do as good of a job, are they going to care as much? Uh, but what I found a big difference maker was when you actually empower them and show that you trust them and give them those reins, it's mind-blowing what they'll do with it a lot of times. I'm now at a point where I'm actively every day, or at least you know, there's a percentage of my time where I'm trying to replace myself. I'm trying to make it so that I don't, the business does not need me whatsoever. And I think once that happens, I've done the best job. And we've recently now advanced to having a proper sort of leadership team and it's a pretty young group and now I'm handing over large portions of the business to them. And when, when we got uh, together to sort of assess like, what was our vision gonna be for the next 10 years? What's gonna be for five years? And I realized that once I brought them into that conversation, now they were invested into it. And it was part of, it was their vision now. It wasn't just mine. So there's less of that, I'm working for somebody else to help build what, they, what they're doing. And now it became that like, no, this is part of my vision too, and I'm building it. And it, it just blew me away on what their ideas for the future could be for the company, whether that just be the work we're doing in the community or what revenue targets were, or anything like that. And all of a sudden they were invested into it. And it gave me just completely a new perspective on it. But yeah, there absolutely is hope because you're going to hit a glass ceiling at some point. So you need to get that buy-in and that investment from people. And I mean, if you're doing something that uh, means enough to them as well, and it's the right thing for them, then they'll they'll absolutely take it, especially if you want something that's gonna be lasting and, and beyond yourself, so, yeah. Um, one of the best pieces of advice that I got from before we even opened Ryu, I did a lot of networking and I met this woman who is in her 80s, has made millions of dollars for lots of different companies, and one thing she said to me is, you know, know when you're done. Keep your ego on the side, and if you can no longer take your company in the direction you want it to go, and if there's somebody else who has better ideas, who has better connections, is able to take your company to that next level, know when to step aside, know when to hand off the reins, and know um, that your company will succeed. So having your ego checked is always big in me, and like when you enter Ryu, one of our Ryu uh, rules of conduct is leave your ego at the door because there's no place for that. Yeah, um, I agree with both of you guys. Um, actually, I agree with you, but I do agree with you somewhat, but I Help still think, I mean, yes, I mean, Mrs. Ars is talking about an employee versus employer viewpoint, not a, okay, my business is where I've taken it to, I found another individual who I think can take it to the next level, let's give that person, you know, a large size of equity, so, they would be you know, intrigued and attracted to grow the business because let's be honest, if you told me to work as hard as you um, and you were paying me a wage versus, you know, my first thought was like, why should I work as hard as Mike if, you know, if I'm putting all that extra work and I'm not being rewarded for it, even if I did believe in everything you did. And going back to the point, when I say 90%, 90% is still very good as an employee. If you have an employee working 90% of your 100%, I think that's like a A1 employee. I'm talking about when, is your employee you know, going to bed thinking about what he can do to improve your business? Is your employee waking up stressed about you know, the problems that you guys are having? If you guys can find me those employees, like please let me know, because I would love to hire them. But uh, 
I, I know what you're saying there. I mean, as far as if the employees don't feel like they're being rewarded enough, then obviously there's something wrong with the compensation uh, or whatever is going on there. But I mean, I've got examples of both where we have employees who are have sweat equity and have share, uh, shares in the company and others who don't. And I haven't actually noticed that much of a difference between people of equity and if they don't. I think it's an attitude thing. It's whether people genuinely buy, and you can give people shares, but if they don't genuinely care and want to have the right attitude, I think uh, attitude to me is is 90% of it at least. The skills and things can be learned, but if somebody has a shit attitude, like you said, leave the ego at the door, uh, it's going to be a disaster in that sense. And you know, I don't want a situation where anybody who's working, uh, I don't like to say for me, but with me, I resonate is going home at night stressing about what ways to improve the company because that sucks, right? Like, I want it to be a situation where maybe I am the only one who's dealing with that or create a situation where nobody has to sort of deal with that and more create opportunities for them where they can just really lock in on what it is that they're sort of passionate about and that within the company, you know, utilizing their skill set and obviously uh, creating an opportunity for them to be able to move forward and, and buy into the future of it. Um, you know, we have people who work there who have told me that their goal one day is to be able to buy equity uh, in the company and be a partner. And, you know, when you tell them that, yeah, that, that door can be open and you sort of show them uh, what sort of future they can work towards, I think it makes a really big difference versus, you know, when you sort of cut it off and treat them just like employees. Sometimes you have to be a little bit more transparent uh, than you want to be, and which is tricky in the beginning when things aren't going super well. You don't want to tell your employees things aren't going very well because then they're going to maybe lose faith in the company or lose faith in you as a leader. Uh, but at some point, you know, if you're a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more transparent, then they feel like they really understand what's going on and uh, have some skin in the game, whether they literally do or not.